0: Dear Shooter, hope you stopped by and got your double shot of espresso this morning. You know, with the dipped chocolate coffee bean on top. You know what I'm talking about. This one's going to be a doozy. Like all industries, the shooting sports has its issues. But change is happening, and most of it is positive. Of course I
1: have.
2: Just (laughs) checking, because I'm like getting the stink
1: eye here. Go do your thing.
2: But get good at your craft first. And put your budget to things that really matter at the day. And you want to get good at it, and make no mistake about it—that's training. Let's face it: if you have a size sixty-two waist, you are not as tactical as five-eleven might think you are. <laughs> and we've all seen it.
3: <laughs>
1: wow! I feel the love. There it is. <laughs> and Brady jumps in. <laughs> With all of the sensibilities. Of the family. <laughs> welcome to the deer shooter podcast i am your host jason crotto deer shooter is brought to you by wyo empowerment through self-reliance and lucid optics on target under budget so happy thursday to you all we are here assembled and today we are talking to justin neal about what is right and wrong with the industry justin how are you doing doing well so justin you've been
2: haunting and hanging out around on the fringes of the industry for what a day or two uh
3: yeah i grew up in it um took a few years off after i graduated from high school and somehow or another i got pulled back in and i I've gone on about nineteen, almost twenty years in this industry.
2: All right, then. Then for those of us listening out there, this is the firearms industry, shooting sports.
1: So, so Justin, it, it, explain to me because I'm not entirely sure what is it that you do. Uh,
3: <laughs> um, I and none of this is by design. Um, I, like I said, grew up in the industry and I loved it. and I you know obviously have a huge passion for hunting, fishing, shooting the outdoors in general, um, and had an incredible, incredible childhood. But when I graduated high school, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with the industry. Still kept the hobbies and the passions, but I didn't wanna, I didn't want daddy to get me a job, like most of my friends um, who I graduated with did um nor would my dad let me um but i went and got a culinary arts degree um and you know totally polar opposite of of this industry of the shooting you know hunting industry and um you know i went to school went back to school got my marketing degree and um started picking up marketing jobs um on the side for uh, a bunch of hunting and fishing lodges that I used to cook at or work at guiding. And uh, so that kind of morphed into an agency. And I've owned the agency for 19 years. I think it's been incorporated for 17.
2: So what you're saying is, is you officially took your mistress and turned it into a wife.
3: Uh, yeah, I kind of got real back in, pardon the pun, but, um, you know, I, yeah, at the beginning, you know, you were taken on when I finally figured out, um, that this is what I wanted to do, which I still don't really know if this is what I want to do, but. You'll figure uh,
1: out what you want to be when you grow up.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um.
0: Well, it's not a and, chef. They don't get paid worth of shit. Well,
3: you know, I, don't, I. <laughs> I look at it and I want to make as much money and do the least amount of work, and I have not figured out how to do that yet. But I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just kind of morphed, and I so I own this agency, uh, have a great great team that works for me, and then um, you know it back in the day it kind of morphed into again not by design, but we had a bunch of lines coming to us saying. How, you know, we're spending millions of dollars in marketing. How do we get our product into these stores? And the only reason I knew anything about that was, again, growing up around a retail store, I'm like, hire reps. And then they're like, no, you do it. And so, you know, probably 17 years ago was our first customer that we handled both sales and marketing for. And it has progressed, and I would say out of the 15 clients we have, um, 12, 13 of them, we handle sales in some aspect. So we are a marketing agency, but we also have a sales division.
2: Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So so you're, so you're making as much money as you can doing all the work that nobody else wants to do.
3: Yes, which is polar opposite of my goal. <laughs>
1: And so with that all being said,
2: fast forward to today, um, mm-hmm. growing up in the industry, you've been around the farm once or twice. You've seen where some things have gone awry and um, probably even can name the players that caused it to happen. Um, you know, I'm not going to make yet name names or get into details, but 50,000-foot view, your perception, what's the best thing in the industry? What's right with it?
3: Who? That's a good question because if you asked me what was wrong with it, I could immediately tell you about a million things. I don't well, have. We'll get to the what's to wrong. I mean, that was
2: the predictable right. one,
3: right? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what's right with the industry? It's growing, uh, and what I mean by that, not right now. Right now is just the horrible economy, um, but you know that will change here pretty soon, especially for this industry when the election comes up. But I would say what's good for, with the industry is. COVID and even the crash um, or the recession in 2008, and then that mini one sometime later, it drove a lot of people to this industry um, that previously weren't. Um, I think also, um, you know, during the pandemic years, more so those, you know, in the pandemic years, you also had that subcategory, which is, all those riots from around the the U.S. and people were buying specifically the firearms industry. Um, people started buying more guns, but more importantly than that, there was an influx. And I mean, there's a higher percentage of first time gun owners that were buying guns than there were, you know, avid. You know, traditional firearm consumers. There was just a ton of first timers, and a lot of those guys, you know, bought one. I don't know, sig, stuck it in a safe in their closet on the shelf, right? But there was a, a there was still a lot that that found out shooting and hunting were awesome, um, and continued on and fell in love with the sport. So that's what's good in the industry right now. Is I think the COVID years mixed with some of the recessions from years past, mixed with the, I don't even know what to deem it, but all those riots that were were taking place, I think it drove a lot of people to our industry.
2: So you're saying that the civil unrest in the country primed the pump for the industry and gained some numbers?
3: Oh, a a lot. I mean, we saw, I have a few firearm accounts. um, Surprisingly, you know, out of the ones I do have, um, you know, some of them, um, you know, everybody fared well, of course, but Pieta Firearms fared better than most, and I was shocked. Um, you know, they all they do is replica. I shouldn't say all they do; they do a tremendous job of it, but they do replica black powder and single action revolvers, and I'm not going to quote a specific website where I found this or organization, but I found that it was, you know, and and don't quote me on it for the love of God. Don't quote me on it. But out of all the firearm, I think it was 2020, all the firearms that were bought, it was like 60% first time gun owners. And then out of that, you know there was like 10 to 15 percent of those buying single actions and it makes sense because they were they're easy to use uh, they're a lot less in, they're not as intimidating as you know your glocks your sigs whatever um you know the modern guns and it's the guns they saw on tv so you know pf fared and, and so everybody else who birdie simmer taylor's traditions they all fared really really well during that time um but yeah, I, I don't know, Jason. to Answer your question. I just think that it was just a, it was just the perfect recipe for this industry. I mean, I don't want to see silver unrest. I certainly don't want to see mass shootings and all the other BS that goes on. Um, but it really, really did wonders for this industry for a long time.
2: And I would, I would agree with you on the firearms manufacturer side. Um, I would have to wholeheartedly disagree with you from the accessory side. Um, People bought guns. They didn't buy the accessories because, like you said, they stuffed them in the safe and forgot they were there. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, with accessory lines, we see those, they follow the firearms lines about a four- to seven-year life cycle outside an initial buy. We saw that during the Obama years. Um, So from the (laughs) accessory side... We didn't experience that at all. Um, I don't know a single accessory line that did.
3: No, I and I think um, I, I would say on the the firearms, the hunting specific firearms, they saw an influx, right? But it was more, you know, the the what happened during the pandemic years, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir with you, Jason, but. You know, all these dealers out there and all the distributors and everybody was buying anything and everything they could that was just even a tad in demand in 2019. They were tripling their POs and doing all of this and just stockpiling their DCs because they knew that these manufacturers couldn't keep up with production. And so they were looking at 2019 numbers. What was you know, what was selling through then, and then they were, you know, doubling down and betting the farm on it, which worked well for about two and a half years.
2: Yeah, until 2021 hit, and they were all overstocked. They couldn't buy a thing. But, right, you know, in the COVID years, we're talking about civil unrest. People were scared. They bought a lot of personal defense firearms. So yep. handguns were 8 to 12 times, depending on the region, more than a long gun was. And an AR-15 was ten times anything hunting.
3: I just out yeah, of sheer and, numbers. Well, and and for argument's say, let's say it was sixty percent of all those gun sales were to first timers. Those first time gun owners wouldn't even know what a firearm accessory is. You know what I mean? Like they, oh, I they completely would have agree. no idea. You.
2: Yeah, and so the same thing. Okay. What we've we've positioned a lot of our industry into the training side, into the accessory side, because we know that that flood is coming. They're going to open that safe one day and see that AR fit sitting there and go, hmm, I should do something with that one time.
3: Right. And, you know, that's what I was, you know, trying to allude to. Um, I'm kind of a slow kid, so not as slow as people from Wyoming, but slow nonetheless. Um, I was trying to allude to that out of those percentages, of people that just threw it in their closet. There was also a small percentage that found the fun and enjoyment and, um, you know, the relevance of owning a firearm. And that said, those are the ones that are going to start not only upgrading and buying more firearms, but for lack of better terms, pimping out their existing firearms.
2: God love the mall ninja. <laughs>
3: So that that is, I don't know, I would say, though, <clears throat> kind of to keep on track, that's probably the best thing happening in the industry right now.
0: All right. Cool. So what's the bad things? Because you're making me sleepy.
3: <sighs> All right. Sorry. That's, uh, I'm nerding <laughs> out on you. Um, a, you know, the number one bad thing is the same thing that's a good thing a lot of those people that are new to the industry are in it for the wrong reasons. I'm not talking about the COVID years. I'm not talking about that. I'm more stressing, you know, this was probably 10, 15 years ago, but there was just this, do you remember the influx of hunting outdoor shooting shows that were on TV? I do. It's not that way anymore because of social media and YouTube and everything else that goes on. But there was they had their heyday and there was, you know, Moose Media, Pursuit Channel, Sportsman's Channel. I mean, there were so many different networks doing nothing but outdoor shooting television shows. And a lot during that time of those viewers were recruited and started hunting, shooting, fishing, fishing novices from you know 6 years old all the way up to 50 never touched a gun in their life saw a shooting show and now they're out at the range every day those people are probably good the the whole bow hunter and that whole thing like you know i don't know i just remember when i shot my first year it was like i, I think it scored like 145 and that was a trophy and then you watch them on the television shows and, you know, they're they're sitting in their tree stand after their breakfast at the Waffle House and they see a 150 walk by and they're like, you know, we're going to let that grow up. That's not what hunting is about to me. Like, it's not about the size of the bone. Sure, I would hunt a trophy any day of the week. You know, if there was a 150 or a 200 class whitetail stand there, I'm going to shoot the 200 class. But that's not what hunting is about. And I think the industry on the hunting side anyway has lost its way. On the shooting side, that's a whole other can of worms. I think the NRA, and I'm going to be chastised by this, um, I think the NRA has totally lost its way. Totally. Well, you're yeah. not
2: going to get any arguments from this crowd on the NRA. And while I do feel your pain on the industry losing its way a little bit and making the big show out of it, um, there are still a lot of folks out there that are – hunting to put food in their freezer. Um, You see it with shows like Meat Eater, and he's carrying that tradition through and showing you what you can do with it. You know, hey, guy with a culinary arts degree, um, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do once you have that down? How do you care for that to feed your family, right? So shows like that are are a big benefit. Um, The industry losing its way, obviously, yeah, it's a detractor. Um, But in the industry losing its way... um, Being on an inside kind of track, let's talk about some of the extortion that's gone on in the past five years. You see big brands pushing the mom-and-pop dealer around to the point where they almost can't stay in business. But one of the things that I'd like to bring up a little bit, if we can, is the industry's mindset towards, if you buy this gear, you'll become a better shooter. And I know this strikes a chord here with Jason Crowdo sitting next to me because we see that all the time on the range and in competition, and it's just flat-out wrong. What are your thoughts?
3: You know, I'm always a firm believer in, you know, <laughs> I, and I and I always think of one brand, and I won't mention it, and it's not even an optics brand, but it, it's like, those companies that are throwing so much money at marketing have to be the best product on the market, which is totally untrue. Um, you know, I, I don't want to bore you with this, but like I just got the phone oh, today. Come on,
0: I've been bored all night.
3: Whatever. I, I mean, it's the industry, but I would say this, like this was a pet line and they have a bunch of supplements amongst other things. And they come in one of two things. They either come in a white plastic jar, which looks like everybody else is on the market, or they come in this brass, like Altoid tin thing. I'm like, "There's your ticket right there. That will sell more, more than the your Me Too product." And that's, I say that. My point being is that when I'm going to a retail store to buy a product, I'm buying a product. After research, after looking at the back of the labels, in this case, looking at where the parent company is, who it's owned by, I'm not basing it off of whether or not I see him on TV or social media. I'm basing it off of the company itself. And I think that's where it's kind of, you know, he who has the most marketing dollars wins. I'm not that guy. But again, there's a lot of novices that are buying product now that, that don't know the difference. So if they say it on social media, they're going to go buy it.
1: Well, that's part of the problem. And and I think, you know, listening to you guys for the last half hour, I, I think you kind of went um, a little bit in the wrong direction talking about what's right and what's wrong in the industry. Uh, what I would say is right, and this came out of the 2013 scare, the Obama scare, is that the industry finally came together uh, for gun rights. Uh we stopped squabbling amongst ourselves going, well I'm a shotgun shooter, I don't care about the black guns. No, they come after the black guns are coming after me next. We finally figured that out and we finally presented a united front. Now as far as what's wrong with the industry, yeah, there's there's some marketing issues that are going on. Something that I see all the time is especially marketing to women because women are the fastest growing segment in this industry. We all know that. But you've got firearms manufacturers that are marketing uh, little pocket 9 millimeters and smaller guns to women because they're, they're making them pink and they're making them purple, and that's all great. The problem is what they don't understand is that is an expert's gun. So they're turning women off to the industry by putting them into a firearm that they hate.
2: You know, I got to tell you, I fell to my comfort center, and you're right. We went down the wrong rabbit hole because Jason's got the 50,000-foot view. He's absolutely right. Um, we have a lot of products and brands out there that are marketing the wrong items to the wrong people because of a fashion color. Um, I think we see a lot of buy my product, you'll be a better shooter. Mm-hmm. And very little of if you get this product, make sure you get properly trained. Right. Um, so, yeah, I I would concede that that's a better direction to go on a conversation like this. Marketing well,
0: well, uh, 101, right, Justin? <laughs>
2: well, yeah, but
3: I would say this to you also this is a question that i would love to know your guys' answer to this question so women is one of the fastest growing uh, markets in the industry fact for self defense a concealed carry weapon is a 22 a good enough caliber for a novice woman who's never shot a gun no. to get as their first concealed carry.
1: No. And here's why. Um, not shootability, but you have to have mastery of that firearm and you have to have accuracy because the zones that you need to be able to hit to stop an attacker are very, very small and very fluid. We're talking the front of the face. That's, you, that's what you get. If you want to stop an attacker with any kind of effectiveness and efficiency.
2: So 22 is a little small. I mean, you have killed that person, but it's not going to stop that person. And so there's a big difference. So we need a little bit heavier piece of lead.
3: To kill the person. Well, to
1: stop it. Yeah, we're looking to stop. And, to stop. And, right. and, and, and you can to take...
2: Stop a person?
1: 22 will eventually stop a person.
2: It's going to make them angry in the but, process, though. But how,
1: you, you're talking about seconds that you have to get control of this situation before you die.
3: Okay. Listen, I, I'm not saying, I mean, you, you guys are the experts here. I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but that's been the $50 million question for a while now. Um, amongst my little group is, is it a safe, because I look at it this way. If a woman who is hesitant about getting a firearm period, no matter what caliber it is, if she is hesitant, do you want to start her off with like a nine or forty five or three fifty seven? I would st-
0: you start I'd start her with a three eighty. Yeah. I'd and it's perfect for self defense and it's it's really light. It's doesn't recoil much.
2: Now the three eighty gets a lot of bad press though. I mean, a lot of folks will say it's not enough, but it's a 9mm short, y'all. It's an, yeah. it's enough to stop a person. And most most incidences happen within, what's the distance, Jason? You've got the stats on the top of your
1: head. 9 to 15 feet. All right, so
2: 9 to 15 feet. A three eighty is the same size projectile as a 9mm. It's moving 200 feet a second slower. It is going to make a bad day and stop that attacker pretty immediately. It's also very manageable to shoot. Um, typical pistols that come in 380s are in the mid-size to small compact size. I would prefer seeing a woman in a mid-size slimline 380. Mm-hmm. Um, the Walther makes an excellent one and it has a bunch of safety features if she's hesitant on carrying it, but she has to train with it to understand how it works.
1: And I would I would never discount the 22 as a defensive round. My point about that is you need to be a pretty decent marksman and especially be able to make those shots under pressure.
3: Right. Unless you put birdshot in there, then you're kind of good to roll. Then you're probably not even
1: getting penetration.
3: But let me ask you this, because you are the expert, Jason. You have an intruder, I don't know, in a parking lot at two o'clock in the morning coming at you. Right. And Mm -hmm. you pull out any firearm. How many of those intruders are going to stop and walk the other way?
1: Two years ago, I would have said most. Um, however, we saw a dynamic shift during the riots of COVID. Um, you saw it during the uh, the incident with uh, uh, com- House. with Riddinghouse, yeah. So mm-hmm. normally, in a mob situation like that, you start firing shots, the mob turns around, and runs away. They advanced. Um, that was the first time we saw that, and we've seen it again and again since then. So. It's, it's a whole different dynamic out there now, and now you're talking about violent home invasions. These guys are coming in to take what they want, and they don't care who tries to stop them. Those are the dynamics that we're dealing with. We're also dealing with a lot of defund the police issues, and when that comes up, the first thing to go is training. The first thing to go is the, the longtime officers that have been there have seen this kind of stuff, know how to handle it. Okay, we know... Uh, just from statistics and from what's been going on the last two and three years, help's not coming.
0: Well, and it's 9 to 15 feet for self-defense to make sure they're actually after you, and you're not showing your weapon unless you intend to use it.
2: Right. So uh, we actually have to have right here tonight a relatively new to the firearms industry woman. Where did you start, Brandy?
0: I started, so when I was learning to shoot actually at the range, I did start with the 22, but then directly moved when I started doing carry into the 380. And I have since then gone up to a 9.
2: Now, you've been hands on firearms in a personal defense type of operation since what, 2016, 17? Yeah. So fairly new. Okay. Does that, that answer your question at all?
3: It did, um, but there was one that Jason said, one thing um, that he said, home intruders, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another question, which I'm sure you hear all the time, Jason, is if a if an intruder comes into my house, I'm not picking up one of my ARs. I'm not picking up a handgun. I am grabbing a shotgun.
2: Damn because right. It, we own a up.
3: Right. I mean that. Like, you don't have to be precise aiming for that. You're going to have to fix drywall in the morning. But I guarantee you, my 12 gauge is going to stop a person w- way faster than my 9 would.
0: You also have to be very aware what's behind the wall that's behind the intruder. You could have your children, your wife. You could go through an outside wall and hit an out a. Uh, bystander outside well and
2: with a shotgun the temptation is to load slugs or buckshot and brandy's absolutely right over an issue however i would really like to see you go to the range and shoot a shotgun inside 10 feet that pattern's not as big as you want it to be
1: no no typically you're looking at maybe four or five inches um and that's you know not choke not anything um uh, the other thing too, you know, you talk about you're going to you're going to grab your shotgun. Well, let, let let me let me give you reality for us. If something goes bump in the night here, I'm going for an AR right off because typically I'm going to be dealing with a four-legged intruder. I'm mm-hmm. so I you know, I've got my night vision equipped AR and that's what I'm going out with because I'm probably going to be dealing with a fox, a coyote, something of that nature. Now, it, I, I'm loaded for people, too, but with where I am and the area that I'm at and in, in the situation that I deal with and the ranges that I deal with, I'm not going for my Glock 19. I'm grabbing the AR.
2: But if you're living in condo land and apartments, I can't recommend the AR. No, I couldn't either. So each case is going to be a shade different. Um, your, your comfort level with that firearm to manipulate it, blurry-eyed, half-asleep, Stumbling in you know in your tidy whities across the hallway right because that's the reality that's the kind of situation you're in
3: yeah and, and then I look at that and say you still have to be aware but that that was my point Jason W was I'm half asleep and I'm not you know I'm not focused but I'm aware enough to know what's behind wall number one two three and four sure. you know what I mean and and so you know to Brandy's point what's on the other side well if I'm just using I don't know a six-weight load in my 12 gauge. I'm probably not going to go through both sets of drywall and studs into another room. True. However, safety factor, yeah, you want to know, but you, you it's still it's still user error if you're shooting your kid after you shoot the intruder. I mean that that's just to me. I, I think you know your house good enough, but I digress. I get everybody's, everybody's point, but I still think I'm. You know, I live I live in a fairly large town over a million people. If something goes bump in the night, it ain't gonna be the grizzly bear that's rumming through my trash. It's gonna be a two way good intruder. Sure. You know what I mean? So sure. and I'm that, going out with a shotgun.
1: No, and that and that makes total sense for your situation. Uh, but that's you know, one of the things that we talk about in our classes, we talk about plausibility principle. And we, we, we talk about you know we we make three circles and, and and the big circle is everything that's possible to train for and everything is possible to prepare for. Well that's impossible. So what we want to look at is what is the most likely thing, and that's the way we're gonna train. And if you're telling me, you know, you're worried about home intruders and having a shotgun, okay, that that sounds right to me. So that's where you need to focus your training. After that it becomes what's plausible. You know, based on your lifestyle, where you travel, where you go, who you hang out with, what your job is, those kinds of things. Now we're going to look. We're going to factor in those those things, and that's hard to do because that's very individual and subjective.
2: But it just enhances yeah. the reason that everybody that makes a conscious decision to defend themselves with a firearm needs to seek some s- sort of specific training to their circumstance, because mm-hmm. just going and buying and owning the guns not enough.
1: Well, it's pretty and it's a pretty sad statistic. It's you know less than ten percent of gun owners actually seek training other other than what is mandated, based on where they live. Now, I am I am a hundred percent against any kind of government mandated training because this is our right, um, and there is no other right that we have that we have to have some mandated thing for. However, in the industry, we should be, you know getting those people to take training we should be pushing that uh because with rights do come responsibilities and being responsible and trained is is part of exercising that right so
2: quick question
3: you're opening up you're opening up pandora's box a little bit there too because like you jason you know i wish that what you did could be implemented and there would be a guy like you in every major metropolitan city that novices and, and and guys that know guns really well are coming to you to train. Because if you look at what's going on, you can see it all the time in Florida. You see it even here where I live, these big indoor shooting ranges that are just for a novice owner of a firearm to walk into one of these places is so damn intimidating. And these training facilities are more interested in selling product than they are training you to be a responsible gun owner.
2: That is a sad reality, and you're absolutely right. You you, you are right. But But I'm going to go ahead and do a couple things here in response to that. One, a shameless plug for biotech. Um, This guy right here has made a commitment to what he does for a living, and he will travel. So get a group of five or six of your guys together. He'll come to you. Doesn't matter where in the country. Second thing, um, the, the indoor ranges that you're talking about, that is a societal illness. They have become intimidating and hard to deal with if you are a newbie because of the potential for a suicide or a ND that happens on the line that hurts somebody else. They make it. Very militant for a reason to make sure that you understand you're being watched. If it runs people off, that's sad. But I also from the range operator side of it, I understand it.
1: Well, and, yeah. and, and and just to just to kind of add on to that too, there is a guy like me in every metropolitan area. The problem is training costs money, and people would rather go spend three hundred dollars on some new shiny piece of gear that the industry is convinced will make them shoot better than actually come and do the work.
3: Correct. And that's what a lot of these, there might be guys like you, I'm sure there are, but when you look at these big mega shooting complexes, again, the, their, their drive is to make money and sell product, the shiny products rather than, than genuinely, Caring for and teaching someone how to shoot.
1: Well, and in the other side, with especially like the indoor ranges and stuff. I mean, you you look at it, and they're you know just above minimum wage employees, most of them. a place like that is not going to spend the money to get get their employees certified to teach at the level that people need. Isn't in an instructor?
2: That's true. That's very true. We see it time and time again you got a guy that's yep. R.O.ing a, a line, and he's, he's got a vest on, and he's got his buffs on, and his primary thing that he has in his hands is a broom. He's there to sweep brass. He doesn't wash the line. Um, every now and then you get one that does, and sadly, that guy becomes a Nazi.
1: Typically, and that's, that's, that's a holdover from gun, pol- gun culture 1.0. and it fud culture um even here in wyoming the a lot of the kind of the legacy ranges that have been around for decades they they still have that mentality that the only the only function of a gun range is to sit down and sight in a rifle uh you try and try and do any kind of dynamic training any kind of realistic training and they freak out and it's because they don't understand it so I'm
2: going to redirect this a little bit, kind of in the same vein, because we have this guest on that is such a valuable resource to the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, Boy, getting you've got passions, right? You're you're a hunter. You're you you run dogs. Yes.
3: Yeah, just got two dogs Saturday. Outstanding. Well, after now, a year
2: being without them, what are the names of these type of dogs? What's the breed? dooch Drothars. oh yes okay so you know them i I had no i do know what they are yeah i had to google them to find out what they were beautiful dogs they're gorgeous dogs now those are for bird hunting yes yep so you're a shotgunner i am okay how much time do you spend with your shotgun
3: well not enough (laughs) not enough right but i mean you know during hunting season, and I would say for 17 years uh, plus, um, I was guiding bird hunts. Not really using a shotgun, but I obviously took it with me a lot of the time. But I was guiding four or five times a week.
2: Okay, so you, um, you you're walking guys through the woods, chasing birds down.
3: Okay, you're... see, this is a typical Wyoming guy trying to explain. Upland bird hunting. You don't walk through woods to hunt birds, Jason. You walk through Some guy's
2: field, all right? You're walking through some guy's field chasing birds. Yep, yep, yep. So don't you ever accuse me of getting lost in the minutiae, by the way. Um, (laughs) My point is, you're a shotgunner. You do this professionally, right? You're a dog handler. You're a people manager, but you're a shotgunner. You need um, to spend more time with your shotgun. Yes. And you need to educate those around you about hunting ethics and the use of a shotgun. So, in a way, you're kind of a trainer.
3: I suppose. I mean, you know, and and this is what, this is marketing, too. And and we do this a lot um, with a lot of our clients, you know. The best salesperson you could ever have would be a guide or a trainer Mm -hmm. because those people that are coming to you, like I, I remember years where I would have a group, usually a corporate group that would come out and I would guide and I always had Filson shafts on and like a Filson game vest, right? And I would have my equipment, my DT, e collars, and the next year I would guide that same group, and they'd be wearing the same gear I had on, Mm -hmm. because they they think whether or not I am a professional doesn't really matter. But if I'm out there guiding them, I must be a professional, so I must have the best. Well, they
1: they look at it as okay, this guy does this every day. What's he using? You know, right. it, whether you want to call yourself a professional or not, they look at it as okay. He's in this environment; he is doing this every day. What's he using? Because that's got to be what works.
3: Yep, exactly. And that's the same with trainers too. So I'm sure, Jason, you have a lot of you know clients or students that come to you, and you know they see what you're using, what you're wearing, um, and they're leaving your class and going out
1: and buying it. Uh, typically not, because I teach a lot of my pistol classes in a bathrobe, just to prove a point <laughs> that this is how we fight. Um. <laughs> That's
3: a little scary.
2: Well, well, you know, he, he laughs about that. It, I've seen it. It's kind of funny. But he is a, a dealer for Lucid Optics because of that. When he takes a class on and they see him run the drill, right, they're taking inventory of what he's using. Mm-hmm. It's a very guerrilla marketing tactic, and it works.
1: It does it work. Does. Yep, yep. It's just it's
3: the it's a slow way to sell because you know it's a very niche group. You're not reaching the masses, but it's going to be a customer you'll probably have for life.
1: Absolutely, and and really, it's not as niche as you would think. Um, we get in front of enough people. I mean, in the last month, I've I've moved. More product than I have in, in probably any previous year. Well, and
2: to be fair, you've had more people on the line, oh yeah, this year than you have in previous years, and you're getting ready to have a whole lot more.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so, it, like I said, this guy's national; he'll take the the show on the road.
3: Well, heck, uh, Jason, we should probably talk after this call. I got a bunch of product for you to use.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, because I'll be. Uh, I I have a feeling I'm going to spend most of my winter in Texas and Florida. Oh
3: God, I don't know. Florida, yes. Texas, Eesh. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of your listeners come from Texas. No,
1: you got. Yeah, you got to. You got to go where the students are.
3: I know, but man, have you with just just the weather alone? Have you seen what's going on down there? Yeah,
1: I have. We were just there a couple months ago. But can you uh, hunt over a field that has no birds in it? No. There you go.
3: No, you could, and at the end, just say, well, that's hunting, you know, but probably not.
1: You go out hunting jackalopes, and all you saw is does.
3: Hey, that happened. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. I know what a jackalope is, of course, but I've never heard of does. Uh, (laughs) So
2: I'm going to go ahead and share the jackalope story because it is funny. A long time ago, I had a a Chinese supplier that – I mean, the mechanical engineer I worked with, he asked the question one day if lobes were real. And I said, absolutely. Matter of fact, next week I'm going hunting. And he got all excited. So I went and shot myself a really big jackrabbit. And here I am all decked out in camo holding on to this jackrabbit, right? And in Photoshop, I put these little antlers on it. So I sent him this photo of my successful hunt. Well, he's now he's really excited. And so I offered for him to come over um, when he does his visit the next year, and I would take him hunting for jackalope. (laughs) And to set the hook just even a little bit deeper, I went over to the uh, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports Local, and I bought a jackalope mount that had antlers on it, very similar to the ones I put on in Photoshop, and I sent it to him. So he hangs this thing up in his office, and he is talking this thing up. He's talking his experience that's coming up. He's excited. He comes out, and we hop in the truck, 4.30 in the morning, because you got to hunt early, right? And we ride and ride and ride, and gosh darn it, he has a tag in his pocket for a buck jackalope. And all we saw that day were does.
1: You are such a dick.
2: (laughs) So we we get to lunch, and we go to the lunch counter here in town, and he is just chatty Cathy with all the old-timers. And he's asking them, you know, is it normal to go out and just see does when you go hunting? And and these guys played right into it because they all said, yep, if I've got a buck tag, that's all I see is does. (laughs) So it collaborated the whole story. Right. And so he uh, went home having an epic jackalope hunt and only saw does.
3: Did you ever break it to him?
2: Hell no. To this day, he defends the fact that Jack are real. I mean, he almost got in a fistfight with one guy on the train in Japan. This
1: is, what, a decade ago? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hell, and I know I am. It's
1: okay. Save me a seat. It's all right.
3: Yeah, I'll see you there.
2: <laughs>
1: well, Justin, I think we're kind of coming down to it, uh, but we definitely appreciate you coming on and quite lively conversation tonight. It was good. Yeah.
3: Well, cool. Um, I'm glad to join. I do listen to your podcast regularly. Love it. Told my friends to watch, or listen as well.
2: well I tell them all to listen. Yeah. Pump ma- them in- make them download so we can actually see the traction. Pump those numbers.
3: I have a limited amount of friends, so I don't think it's going to move the needle that much. But <laughs> I, I, do I what understand I can. how that works. Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right. <laughs> well, all right. So. Justin Neal, everyone, Um, if you're looking for marketing, especially in the firearms industry, this is your guy. Um, Where can we find you, Justin?
3: Uh, Well, you can find me online at rendezvousmarketinggroup.com. That's probably the easiest, or you can just call me. Number is on the website, of course, but probably the easiest, rendezvousmarketinggroup.com.
2: Okay. I found you through SoccerMomStalker.com. dot com. Well, no, no, um, that's weird. I, uh,
3: <laughs> you know, how many times a day I spell rendezvous <laughs> to people when I give out my email address? It's a lot.
2: So a marketing guy would simplify that. Just say it.
3: <laughs> you know, when I came up with the name, I tried to get RMG, but it was taken.
1: Ah, oh, that's always how that happens. Yes, it is. All right. So Justin Neal, rendezvousmarketinggroup.com. And if you can't find it, just keep blaming the rendezvous.